Hello and welcome back to the Polaris Travel Health Podcast. Thanks for tuning in with us this week. Today, Jaden and I will be discussing some recent developments about monkeypox, and we're really going to focus in on monkeypox vaccine today. Yeah. Unfortunately, monkeypox has kind of been making some headlines a little bit more recently. Um, But before we get into that, would you mind kind of giving us a refresher on what monkeypox is? We do have a previous episode about it, but just kind of give us some background. Yeah, well, you know, Jaden, we were incredibly prescient to uh, uh, have that podcast a month ago. I believe it was your idea, so I'm going to give you the the credit. It's like, let's talk about monkeypox. I'm like, that's a good idea. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) it's become a thing. So uh, anyway, I guess um, kind of I'll talk more about monkeypox, but I think sort of reason we wanted to sort of delve into this a little bit further is there's been a bunch of questions about the vaccine and and um, yeah, let's just sort of give a further update. But yeah, getting back to what you were saying, Jaden. So monkeypox is a zoonotic uh, pox virus, very similar to smallpox. It's similar really in many ways. The one thing we know is that the the death rate, the case fatality rate is a lot lower than it, than smallpox. It's been around. We identified it in monkeys in, I believe, 1958. And there's a couple different distinct versions of monkeypox, clades, I, you know, the the Central African and the Western African. And the Central African seems to be the more deadly version. What we know is smallpox vaccine provides cross-protection against against monkeypox. And as far as other things, other locations, you know, I think we want to talk about in this, you know, the countries that we're, uh, you know, we're talking about here that have been typical risky areas have been, you know, both Congos, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Liberia, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, and it does seem to be increasing. We have had a bunch of cases that have been spreading and, and it's been sort of, it's been a bit of a surprise. Definitely, definitely. So how is monkeypox sort of spread? What should we be concerned about in terms of that? I think a lot of people are, they read these articles about this type of stuff and they think, oh, you know, I'm going to go out to the grocery store and I'm going to get monkeypox the same way that COVID has been spread the past couple of years. So what we know about this is that monkeypox the main mode of, of transmission is through droplet contact, whether it's body fluids or goo from lesions or respiratory secretions. So, you know, the main ways we're seeing it, you know, typically speaking is, you know, in human to human transmission, it's a lot of prolonged face-to-face contact through respiratory droplets. So, you know, the argument right now would be, oh, if I went to the grocery store, you know, and somebody in the grocery store has monkeypox, like whether chances we're all going to get monkeypox, well, pretty low. But you know, we know that you need to sort of spend a fair amount of close time to be in that face to face contact. So that's why healthcare providers are probably at higher risk. We also know that other human to human methods are through bodily fluids, contaminated clothing, contaminated linen. And we know that there can be transmission to the uh, fetus via the placenta. So that's a consideration. And I guess the other thing I should mention here um, is the animal host of a reservoir of monkeypox is it's squirrels or Gambian pouch rats. We're really not completely sure, but some rodent of some sort in that part of the world. So not actually monkeys. No, but the reason I guess it's called monkeypox is because of the fact that it was originally diagnosed in monkeys in the in the late fifties, and and I you know uh, I've seen a few pictures. Have you seen a few pictures of uh, monkeys with monkeypox? 
I can't say I have. I've seen I've seen the uh, the pictures of the human cases, but not necessarily in monkeys. I don't think exactly what you would think they would look like a monkey with exactly the same type of lesions. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I guess that's where it was first identified. So yeah, so that's that's kind of where we're at. There are so many different variations of pox viruses and usually they're named after the animal i believe it's typically first identified in right something like cowpox obviously but we would assume we would find it first in cows but not necessarily that it's kept or that they're the reservoir of the of the disease yeah and it's like i think I could be wrong on this. I could mess this up, but I think there's even like fox pox or something like that. Like there's all kinds of different poxes that I wasn't even aware of, but in my doing a little bit of advanced research, I noticed this and I'm like, I've never, never knew there were this many pox viruses. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's something. Okay. Moving on to a deeper dive into the vaccine. Could you give us a bit of an overview of the Invimmune vaccine that's approved for use in Canada? Sure. So Invimmune is the name, it's the brand name of the vaccine uh, in Canada that is approved for the use of, of smallpox. And this is a vaccine which it is approved in several other countries and actually in the United States it's under a different name. And oh geez, you know what? I don't think I wrote it down here, but it starts with the J and it's in the United States. It's actually been approved officially for the for use in monkeypox. But anyway, we're going to focus more on it from a Canada point of view. So again, it's called Invimmune, and uh, it is a live, attenuated, non-replicating uh, vaccine for use in adults age 18 and older that are considered to be at high risk for small, smallpox or monkeypox infections. It's a subcutaneous injection, two-dose series, four weeks apart. And the interesting thing about uh, Invimmune is that it doesn't really matter what your immune status is. If you are immunocompromised, you can still receive this vaccine, which I think goes back to what we were talking about before, Jaden, where we were talking about, well, how can you take a live non-replicating vaccine and give it to an immunocompromised person? And I know that you did some follow-up after we did our podcast last time and sent me a couple links. And I guess really the bottom line here is, is that if it's a non-replicating, the concern of it trying to create an infection in an immunocompromised person just isn't there. Is that how you kind of understand it, Jane? I think so. I think that that was kind of the the difference between, say, this one and something like the uh, the yellow fever vaccine, which can't be received by people who are immunocompromised. Yeah, because that, I believe, falls into sort of the replicating variation as I as I get it. So, mm-hmm. okay. So anyway, let's, um, let's talk about sort of effectiveness. So we know right now with Invimmune and monkeypox, there have been studies where essentially they've done a challenge in non-human primates to see if the vaccine would be effective, and it was. And we also have done antibody titers in humans that have received the vaccine, and we know that antibody titers are created. So, so between those two uh, methods, we have a pretty good feel that this is an effective vaccine for monkeypox. Somewhat well tolerated overall, I think that uh, uh, when you start talking about serious adverse events, you know, it was 1.5% in the vaccine recipients versus 1.1% in, in the placebo. And, you know, we start thinking about cardiac adverse events, we're talking 0.08%. And there have been with some 
pox-related vaccines. There's another smallpox vaccine, which is not related to this one. There's been some concerns about some uh, cardiac toxicities and uh, myocarditis, pericarditis. We're not seeing this with this vaccine. And we're going to really pretty much focus on this vaccine today. But the other smallpox vaccine, there have been some level of concern. We don't have that here. Okay. Okay. I believe the um, the one that's marketed in the United States that's the same same vaccine is called Genios, which yes. I don't know why in the US they always have to give fancy names to various different medications and vaccines. But yeah, it's called Genios for some reason. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'll tell you, and I don't want to digress too much, but lots of times, <laughs> lots of times it has to do with trademark and what can be used and can't be used. I actually, there's a um, this is getting way off topic, but there's a new flu vaccine that's coming out this fall in Canada, and it goes by a different name in the States. And actually, I was talking with someone from the drug company, and they were telling me that they weren't allowed to use the, the American name. They couldn't, they couldn't get it to pass the trademark. Like someone else has a too similar a name, and it got challenged, and so they had to give it a completely different name in Canada, even though it's the same product. Huh. So. Interesting. Sometimes it's not as it's, it's, it, you know, the, the reasons are boring and legal and <laughs> not, not because someone thought of a cooler name or whatever, but anyway. Yeah, I would have thought that Junius was just a cooler thing than Invimune. But anyways, okay. How effective has Invimune been shown to be against smallpox, I guess, and then as well as monkeypox? So when we look at the numbers here and we start looking at, uh, in the studies with non-human primates, they got the two-dose uh, series of of the vaccine prior to the monkeypox challenge. And the monkeypox challenge was done bo- both inhalation and by IV. And it was protective of, against death to the order of like 100% versus 0 to 40 in the control studies. So, um, and they had reduced symptoms and reduced viral loads, you know, 74 to 99%. So significant. And in the human antibody response study, one dose, you know, provided titers over a two-week period. And uh, then they did, they w- went and did the second dose because they basically noticed that at the 14-day mark, the antibody creation started to level off. So uh, between four, day 14 and 28. So that's why the second dose at day 28. So that's kind of where, where we're at with that. And then I know that there was an open-label study. This, Jaden, I think... Some of this is your research here too. That basically they did more more work where they were they were doing the incidence rates and yeah, essentially the well tolerated, effective, and um, minimal significant adverse uh, events. Nice. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk about the fact that this is a live vaccine, but it's a little bit unique from that perspective. I believe we touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but it is safe to use in everybody, correct? Yeah, there's no restrictions per se. For It's been approved for 18 and plus uh, from right. an age perspective. But the only real known contraindication at this point is if you had some kind of uh, allergic reaction to one of the vaccine ingredients. But the whole sheer fact that you're immunocompromised, whether it's organ transplant or chemotherapy or whatever reason, that is not a limiting factor here. So that's basically, you know, I think where we're at with that. And even when it comes, there haven't been as much maybe data regarding older people, but there does seem to be no indication that there's any concerns regarding 
you know, older people in their 50s and older can get in this vaccine either. Okay. And who is currently recommended or even eligible to get the vaccine from our perspective? And how might that change kind of in the coming months? Right now, this vaccine is virtually impossible to get in Canada. I can't, you know, our, our clinic, we can't make a phone call or go to a website and order any of this vaccine in. It's being held by the Canadian government, Health Canada. My understanding right now is within Canada, the only people that are getting this vaccine at all are some people involved in the armed forces. But as far as who I would be recommending it for, you know, if you are a resident of a monkeypox endemic area in Africa, that probably would be a good idea to be thinking about getting the monkeypox vaccine. Any kind of healthcare workers that are in close contacts caring for people with monkeypox, either in those endemic areas or in non-endemic areas, like here, for example, in you know in Montreal and and in some areas in the eastern part of the country, there have been monkeypox cases. So uh, that's a non-endemic area. But if you're a healthcare worker, uh, you getting vaccinated that might might be something. And I know in the UK they've already started a program for at-risk healthcare workers. Uh, So that's definitely a consideration. And, you know, we may start to see a situation where maybe some travelers might be looking at getting vaccinated, but that's not something which is in the cards, at least immediately here in Canada. Right. Okay. And so getting back to who can't get the vaccine, is there anything to do with, say, being pregnant, breastfeeding, any other sort of like things that you could have going on that would perhaps be a barrier should you be should we become eligible to get vaccinated like at this point we don't have a lot of data regarding pregnancy and and uh, immune so it's advised that it should be avoided now i guess if we were having some kind of huge monkeypox outbreak and things really changed you know that could be subject to change but at this point in time there there's um there's no reason for us to, to really want to go there. The advice is avoiding conception for four weeks after vaccination. You know, we think the risks are more theoretical than anything else. And as far as breastfeeding, we don't know if, how much, if any, of the vaccine is excreted into the, the breast milk. So, you know, our, our general viewpoint is, you know, there a lot of caution. So I, I think that would be um, that would be something there. And yeah, I think that that kind of covers most of it. There are a couple other things which I think, you know, I want to get into a little bit in regards to people that are quite sick, you know, they have a fever, you might want to think about delaying vaccination if possible. And any kind of mild illness without a fever or any other kind of being on antibiotics or having any other kind of illness or recent exposure to an infectious disease would not be a contraindication. Okay. What about side effects of this vaccine? What's uh, what's the side effect profile look like? The main side effects are, you know, typically more injection site reactions like pain and redness. The injection site, you know, I think what the number the numbers are like, you know, into the 80s for for pain at the injection site. You know, other swelling, right. induration, and itching, muscle pain, headache, fatigue, nausea, chills. And uh, we know that side effect rates are a little bit different for people that were previously vaccinated for smallpox vaccines. So these would be people that would fall into the mid 50s and plus range. But really, at the end of the day, they're not that different. You know, when you look at 
you know, injection site pain is 85% in, in uh, non-smallpox uh, vac- vaccinated versus 80%. And, and redness at the injection site is, is higher in those who had smallpox vaccine, 81 as opposed to 61. So I'm not necessarily sure how that would change someone's decision on, on getting the vaccine. I don't think it really would. And we already touched on incidents of serious effects are probably in the order of you know 1.5%. So it's generally speaking, pretty well tolerated. Right. Okay. So if you are in one of these situations, say you're a healthcare worker right now in Montreal in one of the hospitals where there have been a couple of cases and you've been exposed, are you able to get the vaccine sort of as like a post-exposure prophylaxis? Yes, you can. And uh, what we know right now is that there's sort of a window of about three days uh, after exposure uh, where you can be vaccinated. So I don't know if that's been happening in Montreal, for example, with healthcare workers that have been taking care of of uh, some of these monkeypox patients. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but it uh, wouldn't surprise me. But it may not necessarily be the kind of thing which is necessarily being broadcast all over the, the, the news, but mm-hmm. wouldn't shock me if it was the case. Right. Okay. And can the vaccine sort of interfere with anything, any medications, other vaccines, that sort of thing? Right now, we're taking a cautious approach when it comes to administering this vaccine with other vaccines. We're working on the basis that you should wait four weeks between giving Imivimune and and any live vaccine and two weeks between other uh, inactive vaccines. Now, this is more based on the fact that we just don't have any experience giving these vaccines like this. So I think that, you know, this could theoretically be reevaluated. Like I'd be willing to bet that if someone cut themselves and got a tetanus shot and then like a week later they found out that they were a healthcare worker exposed to monkeypox, I think I would probably think that they would get the post-exposure vaccine and wouldn't let them wait. But, but you know, if you're looking at the actual recommendations right now, that's the, the basis we're working on. Now, the other thing we know too is tuberculin skin tests or MANTU tests, we would want to avoid those 28 days after getting this vaccine as well, because we know that being a live vaccine, it probably could affect the test results. And I think that pretty much covers it uh, from that standpoint. We're basically being pretty cautious and trying to avoid any administration in those windows. Okay. And what would you say your predictions are for how things are going to play out sort of with the recent cases, especially given that Canada has chosen to bump up its stock of Invimune recently? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, When I was looking and doing a little bit of research in advance in this episode, I uh, stumbled across an article which was from, I believe, March 2021, where Canada cut a deal with the manufacturer to to buy a whole bunch more of this vaccine for the National Reserve. So we are in a situation where there is vaccine. And so I don't really know how likely, in fact, I I think it's unlikely that we're going to see it it generally available, but I wouldn't be surprised if the post-exposure healthcare workers are maybe already been vaccinated. Could we see a scenario where pre-exposure vaccinations for healthcare workers? I could see that. That seems possible, but but we're not quite there yet. But I think that uh, the one thing is we we have vaccine, we have product, and we for these very select groups of people, we do have enough product that we 
could vaccinate some of these very focused groups. So I guess it's just going to be a matter of deciding whether the benefit is there. Right. Okay. Well, anything else you want to mention, chat about things that you felt we missed or didn't touch enough on? Right now, I'd say uh, no. Uh, I'd say this is very different from COVID. Uh, This is a known commodity. We know lots about monkeypox. We have a vaccine. So sort of some of the uncertainty based on what we had before, that's with COVID. I don't really think we have that right now. So I think we're kind of, this could play out. I don't know how it's going to play out, but it will play out in a different fashion than COVID just because of the fact we have a lot of knowledge already. Definitely. Yeah. I think that anytime something like this makes headlines, a lot of people, especially after what we've been through the past couple of years, people get nervous, people get anxious. But I uh, I want to say, you know, it, it, we don't have to get too nervous just yet. I think that, you know, potentially we should be all right. I'm inclined to agree, but you know, who who's, who can see all these things coming? Who Who's the necessarily, how easy is it to envision exactly what's going to happen? But I kind of agree. It's it would. It seems to me under most scenarios, this isn't going to shut down the world like COVID, but could it be significant? Yeah, yeah, I think that's possible. Definitely, yeah. I want to I wanna kind of, I want to, to ease people's minds, but at the same time, you know, obviously we're, we're not the end all be all on monkeypox. Yeah, for sure. So anything else you want to add in, uh, Jaden? I think otherwise, I think we're, we're probably, um, probably good to go. I think so. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're good. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning into this week's edition of the Polaris Travel Health Podcast. A reminder that the information and advice we provide in this podcast are not a substitute for live medical advice tailored to your itinerary and your medical history. If you have questions or you want to book an appointment, please head over to our website, www.polaristravelclinic.ca. Check us out on Twitter at Polaris Travel Rx and our Facebook page as well. We hope you'll tune in again with us next week. Thanks, Shaden. Thank you.